Hey there, and welcome to Reaching Out with Michael Constable. I'm your host, Michael, and Reaching Out is a podcast on a mission to make coming out easier through story sharing. Hello, everybody. It's been a couple weeks. It took a, I took the last two weeks off. I'd been doing some traveling around Mexico, um, some for vacation, some for um, a good friend from college's wedding. Yeah, and so I decided to take a little break, and now we're back. What type of gay shit have I been up to for the last two weeks? Well, first and foremost, I am very proud to say that I am making a lot of progress on one of the many gay books that I have brought with me here to Mexico City. I brought about eight books and I'm still <laughs> I am still on the same book that I started before I left for Mexico City. <laughs> so that that tells you probably all you need to know about the odds of me finishing all eight books with the one month that I have left here. But I have made progress on it, and the one I'm reading right now is called The 2000s Made Me Gay. It is so funny. The author, Grace Perry, is so good at her writing voice, I guess. She just has an amazing writing voice, and you can just tell from reading how that she would just be so fun to chat with. Um, It feels like she's having a conversation with you, and you can totally tell her personality through it. Any millennial, I think, would love this book, and Just for some context, the last chapter I read was about her losing her gay virginity in college and how she compared it to uh, things that a lot of millennials can probably relate to, which are the sex scenes that we grew up seeing in TV, like in Dawson's Creek in the OC. And uh, she compared hers to to what she saw in these shows. And spoiler alert, it was nothing like that Um, in a good way, though, I think. For the vacation that I went on, I went to a gay beach in Mexico called Zipolite. It's right outside of Puerto Escondido. And it was really amazing. It's like a a little small gay beach town. Um, And it's always fun to like travel, I think, and see what other countries gay towns are like. Uh, I almost went back to Puerto Vallarta. I've been there a couple of times. But this time I decided to go visit my rose in Puerto Escondido. And then we hopped on over to Zipulite. Highly recommend. I also binged all of Heartstopper in one day. It's a new queer show on Netflix. It's about a high school that it has all different types of queer representation. It's truly amazing. Highlighted by me. I mean, if you've checked my Instagram, I've the podcast Instagram, I've posted about it many times. But in episode three, there's this one amazing scene that that is to the soundtrack of Church's song, Clearest Blue. And it is just one of the most joyful, beautiful, goosebump inducing scenes I've ever seen on TV. I truly can't get enough of it. Uh, I, I rewatch the clip all the time and a lot of people have reached out um, on to the stories about to my stories about this and they agree with me. So if you haven't checked out Heartstopper yet, you need to. The thing I love about this show is like you can tell it was made by queer people for queer people. Uh, the, everything from the soundtrack to how queer life is represented. Uh, it's just like it has so much love and intention and care to it. It, it just I can't speak. I can't say enough nice things about it. And now about this week's episode, I could not be more excited to have Adam James Cohen from Second Adolescence Podcast on Reaching Out Today. Adam is both a psychotherapist and a fellow San Francisco-based podcast host of the incredible Second Adolescence Podcast, a podcast on which I had the pleasure of being a guest on a few weeks back. I'm so thrilled to be able to return the favor and have Adam share his story with us on Reaching Out. Adam touches on so many great resonating coming out topics. He talks about how he basically taught himself to code switch more or less to sound more masculine as a young boy. He talks about the absolute euphoric feeling of having someone really see you for the very first time after you come out to them. And unfortunately, most relatably for me, he talks about the cringy but necessary moments that take place after you come out as you go through your second adolescence. 
Adam takes us through the concept of second adolescence and how it originally came to him and eventually turned into his incredible podcast and more. Also, if you've been following Reaching Out for a few episodes by now, you've probably heard guests and myself bring up how important and helpful therapy is in the coming out process and beyond. Adam, being an actual trained professional, gives us great advice on how we can view the concept of therapy a little bit differently than just going to a trained professional. And in doing so, he makes therapy seem much more accessible for everybody, especially if seeing a trained professional is not possible for you for whatever reason. Adam and his podcast are both such fucking treasures. I cannot wait for you to meet him through this episode and then hop on over to Second Adolescence Podcast to give that a listen. Maybe even start with episode 10. I don't know. Just an idea. Enjoy. Adam James Cohen, thank you so much for joining us today. It's so good to, to see you. How's it going? You know, rocking and rolling, just yeah. getting through life. Yep. <laughs> yeah, nice. We haven't um, been able to catch up in a while, but the last time we did, I was actually a guest on your podcast. So it's nice yes. to nice to return the favor, I guess, in a way. <laughs> yeah. No, totally. It's great to be here and also kind of trippy to be on this side of things. So I'm really curious right? to see what it's like. Yeah. I know. You, mm-hmm. asked me, you asked me in my episode how it feels to be on someone else's podcast. And I know we just started about like 10 seconds ago, but like, what's, <laughs> the, what's the initial vibe? How does it feel? Yeah, I think like I noticed like feelings of nervousness and curiosity are kind of like the main things. Nervousness in the sense that this is a new experience for me and, and curious because, yeah, I love this topic and curious what comes up um, in this conversation. Yeah, Let's me too. I always, I, mm-hmm. I was just telling um, in the get in the episode I released today, I had a mm-hmm. chat with uh, my friend Emily, and I was like, every time before I hit record, I still get those nerves every single time. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, me let's keep it chill because I know like the guests, <laughs> like sometimes the guests are nervous too. I'm like, you have right. to at least present this calm persona to help, you know. <laughs> but like uh, underneath, I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm panicking. <laughs> oh well, it worked when we logged on. Great. Yeah, you seemed very calm. I felt calm. Uh, but yeah, it's like a, it's a nerve wracking thing. It's a nerve-wracking thing. And I think for particularly for like us queer people, we have spent so much of our lives not showing all of ourselves to the world or people in front of us. So at least for me in my own experience, that's a big barrier that I have to keep unlearning that it's okay to be seen and take up space and share my story in this way. It's it's very much uh, not what I was programmed to do. Oh my gosh, mm-hmm. that I hear you 1000% on that. Um, mm-hmm. And speaking of your story, I'm super excited to learn more about it. Uh, but before we get into that, do you want to give a quick intro to the or for the audience to get to know you a little bit better? Sure. Yeah. So I am Adam James Cohen. Um, I am 34 and a half years old. I am a cis man. I identify as gay and queer. I'm a white man. And I mean, there's lots more to say, but I guess those are kind of the first uh, first thoughts in terms of how I'm showing up right now. Um, I'm also a psychotherapist. That's what I do for work love my job. Um, and I also host a, a podcast um, called the Second Adolescence Podcast. Yes, the Second Adolescence Podcast. And you're also in San Francisco, right? Yes, based yeah. in San Francisco. Yep. Mm-hmm. And I love I love the way that you and I got to meet because it was through a mutual friend, um, a friend who um, I knew through, I met through Remote Year, the traveling program that I did. Um, and she also happened to be a friend of yours. And I think she reached out to you and made the connection to reach out to me. And then Mm -hmm. it's just been this, you know, it's been so much fun to uh, connect with you and listen to your podcast. I truly, truly, truly enjoy it. And I had so much fun being on it. I 
like I, I, when the when that episode came out, I was just like walking around Mexico City, getting drinking my coffee, and I was just like, it was so exciting, and it was really fun for hmm. me. So, um, I'm really happy to have you on here now. Um, and I, I told hmm. you before we recorded, and I want you to, we're gonna get into your podcast just to, just to give some, uh, just to give like some background to it for listeners if they, um, if they want to check it out. Um, but I actually, this was I think like last week maybe. I had a friend in San Francisco uh, text me, and she goes. Hey, like I just found out about this podcast. It's a podcaster who's based in San Francisco. I think it's really like topical to like what you're interested in and kind of like, you know, complimentary to your podcast. And she sent me a link and it was a link to your podcast. No <laughs> way. And what? I go, and then I, I responded and uh, her name's Carrie. She's like the best ally ever. She's incredible. And uh, I replied with a link to my podcast episode on your podcast. <laughs> You're like, yeah, I know. Yeah. I was on it. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my gosh. Whoa. It was really oh, sweet. that's so cool. It was really amazing. But I just wanted you to know because, like, it's awesome. People are sharing your, your stuff. That's a great – that's a great feeling. So – Oh, that's really cool. And, yeah. yeah, I mean, I agree. I agree with your friend in that, like, I think our – what we're both doing, they, it's very much like sibling shows where we're kind of – in this greater work of wanting to kind of tell queer stories and normalize as much of the queer experience as we can and show different experiences within the greater queer community. And uh, yeah, so it's just been cool to listen to your show and to have mine and yeah, and pumped to be here. Again, it's so fun. It's so yeah. fun. Um, speaking mm-hmm. of your show, do you want to give a brief intro to it just for the, so the listeners who haven't heard it um, can get a feel for it? Sure. Yeah, I guess so. I, uh, I, f- the, the show is basically an interview series similar to this where I invite queer people on to share about their life stories. But I do so underneath the framework of this concept that I do a lot of work with called second adolescence. So I could I could talk for hours about what second adolescence is, but just to kind of uh, put it more succinctly, I kind of conceptualize it as this sort of developmental life stage that we queer people have to go through, particularly in our post coming out years after growing up in after growing up in you know an anti-queer world that didn't allow us to really get to have the same access to adolescence that our cis straight peers had access to so in many ways a lot of us missed out on things or experienced different stunting of self or delays and so second adolescence for the queer person is kind of the process of both like gaining those experiences that we missed out on but also kind of healing what was inevitably wounded by growing up in the way we did and so yeah, I kind of talk with people about their own journeys, both in first adolescence coming out and in second adolescence, and uh, am just pumped. It's been such a joy. And one of the greatest gifts of my career so far is getting to just spend time in those conversations with people. I love that. And it instantly resonated with me. I was like, oh my gosh, this is, I never had like a word for that. Like I, I hadn't heard the term second adolescence before, but as soon as I heard it, I knew what it, like I felt like I, I probably couldn't explain it as well as you just did, but like I just, the feeling of what, it sounds like and what it you know made me feel was crystal clear and I was like that is what yeah. I have been going through since the minute I landed in San Francisco like a couple months into my coming mm. out um and so it, it resonated uh like a lot with me and it's it's it was yeah I've listened to some of the, like most of your podcasts and like everybody's story I mean you know just like we've listened on this podcast too is like everybody's story is so different but there's always like mm-hmm. relatable uh, aspects to it that it's just like mm. kind of makes the whole process and community feel a little bit smaller, which I love. So um, I think oh, you're doing totally. such amazing stuff with with the pod. Um, and I think mm. everybody should go check it out. Oh, thank you. Yeah, mm. Of course. Um, and so 
Adam, I guess let's let's dive into your coming out story. So um, when you think back on your coming out story, where does it where does it all begin? Take us back. Oh man. Oh my gosh. Again, I'm gonna try to like I could talk about this for hours. And so I'm gonna try to be as succinct as possible. So let's see. I hey, mean feel free I guess to if, ramble as much as you want. I, I love the details, so <laughs> no issues on this end. Sure. Okay. Well, so I guess like where I first go is I first kind of think about my timeline for coming out. I conceptualize my coming out as happening between the ages of 21 and 25. You know, I think for a lot of queer people, there's this process and evolution with our coming out. It's not just one, one and done conversation or experience. Uh, It can be, yeah, longer and messier than that. Mine was like, came out to some folks back in the closet, came out back in the closet. And it really wasn't until I was 25 that I felt like I started to live in like the after, after coming out, um, which I'll go more into. Um, But yeah, I guess like in terms of what led me there, maybe it's helpful to kind of go backwards a bit. And so I was born in 1987 and that time, as we know, was like on the heels of the AIDS epidemic where there was a ton of fear and misinformation about queerness out in the world. And that plus it being such a heteronormative culture at the time, look at any nineties rom-com. Um, I mean, heteronormative white supremacists, like all the things, but, um, basically like I share all that just to kind of say that what's been helpful for me in my own process is just getting more clarity around like the soup I was baked within as I was growing up was one where it was just like filled with this macro culture, sending these messaging around queerness and heteronormativity. Um, that plus like my own microculture, I grew up in a town called Santa Cruz, California. And though when a lot of people hear or think about Santa Cruz, they think of it as this kind of crunchy granola, hippie dippy town, Mm -hmm. which it was in many ways. Um, but it was actually a tough place to grow up as a little gay boy in, you know, eighties, nineties, early two thousands. Um, because so, Surf, the, surf, uh, the sport of surfing is super huge in Santa Cruz. It's kind of the bedrock and foundation of the town. Um, and surfing historically, and a little bit even now today, has been like just such a toxically masculine and misogynistic and homophobic sport. And that kind of just filtered into like the energy of the town I grew up in. Really? I and didn't know that. Just, That's really interesting. Yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah. Yeah, totally. I mean, yeah, when I sh- when I sh- talk about my experience growing up with other queer people, they're kind of shocked when they're like, oh, that must have been like a breeze growing yeah. up in Santa Cruz. Yeah. Um, but but yeah, it was it was complicated. Yeah. And so as like, yeah, as a little kid and early adolescent, like myself and my peers, we were just like sponges. We're soaking up kind of all of that socialization around us, the norms and rules around like what it means to exist in the world. And what I was learning was like, yeah, you got to be straight and you got to be like this like macho boy um which i wasn't and so like a lot of my work and i think a lot of work for a lot of queer people is like having to undo a lot of the internalized shame for identity that we all kind of soak up in response to not fitting into the mold that this external culture is telling us to fit into and that was very true for me i think like my shame first started in elementary school with just with this like feeling of differentness I, i hear a lot of other queer people talk about this as well. Like that was kind of where they go to when they first think about those first indicators of their queerness was this general sense of differentness compared to their peers, particularly their peers of their same kind of assigned gender. And that was true for me. I felt like different from the other boys and I didn't get it. I didn't understand why. Um, Much more comfortable with girls. Um, Yeah, I just didn't understand. And 
it was, but like, we're also a multitude of things always. So while I was also feeling different from boys, I also felt very included with them as well. I was an athlete and was pretty good at sports, both outside of school and then also at recess. And so that kind of was like this, like social survival buoy that kind of got me through childhood and adolescence where I had this thing to hold on to a bit. Um, it is also then, confusing. That's also confusing because, like, I f- I felt similarly. It's like when you, on one hand, there is this feeling of difference, though you can't articulate it and you don't understand it. But at the other time, or at the other end, you're like, to a certain degree, you're able to like fit in. You're able to, like, mm. you know, kind of relate to the other other boys your age. So it's like this dichotomy of, on one hand, feeling like you fit in. On the other hand, you feel like you're completely different and you have no idea why or no idea like how to explain it yeah. or what to do about it. It's really confusing totally. as like a kid. It's so confusing. And yeah, yeah, we don't have the tools or brain development to make sense of it at the time. So we're just like, are just feeling like the messiness of the feeling. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it was confusing. And it kind of, that confusion kind of continued as I got older. Um, I think like it shifted from like this feeling of differentness to starting to kind of be more consciously aware of like, oh, why I'm different starting in middle school. Like I think it was the end of sixth grade is when I had my first fantasy about another male friend and like a sexual fantasy and I remember like coming out of that experience just feeling very like whoa what does this mean um does this mean I'm gay at that point I already I knew about gay people I knew it was something that I did not want to be and so I like that was like a moment that really stands out for me as kind of my first like having to really confront what was happening on the inside and feeling a lot of fear for it. And I kind of, in that moment was of course not wanting to like share with people like, Hey, I'm having this feeling for so-and-so I, I instead like double down the other way. I'm like, okay, I I'm going to learn to, okay, I'm going to be attracted to girls. I'm going to like try to like fantasize about them. I'm going to definitely get a girlfriend. So I had like a g- girlfriend throughout like sixth grade, seventh grade, eighth grade. Oh, yeah. I was just doing oh, like yeah. absolutely leaning into it all. And then also like trying to lean into like maleness too. And like what I thought maleness was. And so I have this also this memory of me, like maybe I think the summer after sixth grade. So beginning before going into seventh grade, like a me like practicing in my bathroom mirror, like how to talk, like, Hey, what's up? Hey, what's up? And like trying to like find the right pitch to like teach myself how to talk in a way that felt safe for me. Um, so like teaching lots of different how to code switch essentially. Oh, big time! Yeah, absolutely, code switch and like to try to employ all these different strategies to pass. Absolutely. So that be, kind of became the next chapter of my adolescence. Um, and while at the same time, I've kind of later as an adult. I mean. I love processing my shit and like processing my story. And part of, part of it was recognizing like, Oh, starting at that age is when I started putting up more active walls between me and boys because it felt not safe to get close to them because, Oh, what if these feelings come up? And so around middle school and into high school, I remember just feeling like, don't make eye contact with guys. Like, don't get too close with them, but stay close enough. So people aren't thinking you're just friends with girls. Like, but it really started to mess with my relationship with men. I kind of was learning like, hey, we can't ever be vulnerable or close to, to boys around me because that might lead these feelings to become more real. Um, but okay, then again, there's so much I want to say. So I'm trying to just go through it. But another thing that really stands out and kind of the turning point for me, one of the many turning points was in sophomore year of high school, I was 16. I had my last girlfriend at the time, or my last girlfriend ever, um, this 
awesome girl who I love so much, my friend Megan. Um, and she, I was in this relationship with her and I kept thinking, oh, maybe I can keep changing these feelings. This whole time I'm like actively dating girls throughout middle school and into early high school and, and, but secretly having these fantasies for guys and trying to like change these feelings. And with her, I thought, oh, maybe this is love because I felt so, I was obsessed with her. She was so fascinating and cool and kind and attractive and all these things. I'm like, oh, maybe I did it. And then like, you know, two or three months into dating, when she's starting to share how she's feeling and things she's wanting to see our relationship progress into it, I'm like, oh, uh, we are on a different page. And I kind of just had another moment. Again, I like, I have so many moments of me like staring in the mirror at myself, having a conversation. It's so adolescent. Um, But I like 16 year old me was like staring in the mirror of his bedroom. And like, that's when he like whispered, like aloud for the first time. Oh fuck. I think I really am gay. But you said out loud said it. Yes. I out loud. And cause I was just feeling like she's feeling differently than I am. I could feel like I'm lying to her. I need to accept this truth. And so I, I think that was the first time I like verbally and out loud admitted it to myself. And then the next day I broke up with her. Wow. Um, was, uh, just a quick question. Was she, yeah. Was what she was wanting to do? Was it like, just have sex? Was it more sexual? Or- yeah. I think like, I mean, I don't see, I mean, I'm sure that was part of it. My memory re- points to like her just like wanting to like commit even deeper romantically. Like she was just like pumped on what we were building. Um, even as like an adolescent relationship. And I just knew like romantically, like I wasn't there. Um, and for sure, sexually wasn't there. Um, and I just cared about her a lot. So I didn't want to do that anymore. Um, so I, I broke up with her, but I was in no way ready to come out. So I kind of made this internal decision. Like I came out to myself at 16, but then I realized, or I can't, then I told myself, I'm not going to come out to anybody. I might never come out, but so I'm going to keep pretending I'm straight, but I'm just not going to, now I'm not going to like actively pursue girls. I'm not going to like try to date girls or try to like make it known, like posture, like, oh, that girl's so hot. I'm not going to do that because that just (laughs) didn't, I hate it. It was exhausting. (laughs) It was exhausting. It was, and like. The memories right? are flooding it, back when you say that. I'm like, <laughs> oh, I oh, know. Man, she's it's so like, hot. <laughs> totally, totally. totally and so, yeah, that. some and some part of 16-year-old me just like couldn't handle being so inauthentic to that degree. So he wanted to not do that. Yeah. Um, but I still wanted to hide. And so I, at that point, I remember um, really shifting my focus to, you know, I talk about this idea with a lot of queer people. And it's a topic that comes up a lot in on my podcast with guests is this idea of we can either consciously or unconsciously lean in to certain aspects of identity. We amplify certain parts of our identity to either gain value, praise, inclusion, but also as a way to distance ourselves or hide from our kind of queerness that we might be kind of trying to distance ourselves from. And so I was already an athlete. So I'm like, okay, great. I can lean more into being an athlete. That's that'll be a place I can hide. But I also like another identity that I held within my social world was I was kind of ever since I was a little kid was always kind of the friend people would go to, to talk about whatever they needed to talk about. I was kind of the listener. I was like the therapist as a little kid. And so I remember making this like active decision. I don't know how I even knew like this is something I could do, but active decision that, okay, I'm just going to like be the really good friend. Like that's going to be my role. I, I luckily was like 
I'm a, I'm a short person. I, I look much younger than my age. So in adolescence, when all like the guys were like shooting up and getting like bulky, I was still like this little twerp. And so <laughs> I like thought, okay, I can kind of hide behind this aesthetic, but I can also just be the really good friend. So I like doubled down on like asking a lot of people about what was going on in their lives and being there when they needed me from boys and girls. And so that I like wanted people to just see me as the friend and not as this like person who could be someone with his own romantic or sexual interests. Um, and so that was my role that kind of, I stayed with, in addition to being a, an athlete kind of all throughout, even throughout college too, of really kind of still hiding. And so I went into college. Um, am I talking too much, by the way? I'm, no, I feel like I'm just like, share. okay. No, no, no. no. <laughs> again, that's what this, this is, is about. so, this is again, this is like, and it'll come up later. Like this, my shit is like learning that it's okay to like, Take up space, exactly. share your story, whatever. Yeah. Okay. This is so, what we want. Thank you this for, is what the people are coming okay. for. <laughs> groovy, groovy. Um, but yeah, so I, like I went went into college like with this uh, still like deeply in the closet, no plans of coming out, um, really much just kind of just trying to survive and get by and keep hiding. So yeah, still being this friend, still being this person that was not really sexualizing myself or making people think of me in that way. Um, although like, as I look back there, I do remember there were like some girls I, I made out with in, in like freshman year of college. Like I wasn't fully sticking to my rules, but I was uh, definitely nowhere near wanting to kind of lean into queerness. Um, but at the same time, again, we're kind of always a multitude of things. I still had like deep within me this like part that was would always fantasize and daydream about like one day, like me finding the guy who would like take me out of my loneliness and have the same experience. And then like, yeah, yeah we could just be with each other. And uh, in high school, I had those fantasies. And then in college, I had that. And I think as I got into college, I like started to fantasize, okay, maybe that'll be how I come out. Like once I get a boyfriend, boom, I can like just say, okay, yeah, I am dating so-and-so and his name is I don't know, Larry or whatever. Um, oh, maybe not Larry, but you know, um, <laughs> love all the Larrys out there. Um, um, so, so in your mind, were you thinking like having a boyfriend would make it easier for you to come out? Like not coming out before yes. you had it? Interesting. I've yeah. Heard, it felt, it, that. yeah, that's, that's an interesting. Yeah. It's just cause it's less, well, it just seems like little less vulnerable and little less yeah. like, um, it can be more organic to like, bring up like someone's like asking like hey like how's school going like are you dating anybody i'm like yeah yeah i'm like his name is i don't know troy yeah um, versus me having to be like hey i i have to tell you something or like it's it's an awkward thing coming out and like saying i'm gay is an awkward thing unless it's like you're being asked that directly like you initiating that conversation is just yeah it's just awkward yeah, um, it's awkward there's like no other way <laughs> there's no other yeah, way to describe period it. yeah and so i was hoping awkward. i was hoping I was hoping for, yeah, this other way out. But then, you know, how am I going to, I was still deeply in the closet. I was avoiding, I don't even know if I had any like queer spaces on my campus of my college, but I was just, yeah, just nowhere uh, getting close to that. And so in hindsight, I'm like, Adam, how do you think it would have happened? But I was just so in this fantasy world yeah. of like, I'm going to have my Jennifer Lopez moment, like running into the person in the coffee shop and then we'll look up and be like, it's you, it's you. And we would just boom, <laughs> just whatever. But it didn't happen. Oh. Um, but so, yeah. That's a so, great visual. That's a great visual. Though. <laughs> but yeah, so I guess like college, when I think of college, like I 
was just trying to get by, but it like also bums me out because I was not, I was seeing friends around me falling in love, having sex, exploring yeah. a lot of different parts of their lives. And that was not me. Yeah. I was just trying to like get good grades, do my thing and graduate as early as I can just to get out of there. Cause it, I felt so out of place. Um, because I was just not showing up in the same ways that the people around me were. Yeah. And, and then like, I think midway through college, it started to just eat, eat at me, like really getting clear that I'm not living. Um, and I'm just starting to see maybe because I'm seeing more and more people around me, like having the things I wish I had. Um, and so the summer after junior year of college, I was home for the summer working at a summer job that I loved. Um, it's this program that's called junior lifeguards, which is essentially a, a program that kind of trains kids and teenagers how to develop ocean skills and life-saving skills to become a lifeguard. It was the best job ever. Um, but I was working and one of my coworkers was my uh, ex-girlfriend from high school. Um, and we just like got close again and good friends and we would hang out often after work. And then, yeah, just like one day she kind of just asked me, she's like, you're gay, right? And I like remember like, you know, when like time freezes and like yeah. you can just see this like flood of like what's happened up until then and what could happen after then. Like, what are the two choices? Yeah. Like the two different crossroads you could cross. I could see both of those outcomes. And so I just like, I saw that flood and I was like, fuck it. And I just said, yes. Oh my um, gosh. Yes. young and <laughs> Yes, I know. And it was like the, what proceeded after that was like the best drug I've ever had in my entire life was just this feeling of like, we had like this two hour conversation of her asking questions and me sharing about like what adolescence was like for me, what it was like for me to keep the secret. Like, and it was the first experience that I had. I was 21. The first experience that I had in my whole life where I was like fully real yeah. with someone. You're like and not speaking it, in it like inhibitedly, like you're, you're speaking freely and you're able totally. to finally say everything to another person that has like been inside of you this entire time. Absolutely. Like a, and it was such an insane trippy feeling it's so good yeah totally and like was one i'd never felt before yep. and it became very like in that moment i got so clear about around oh i've been missing out on even more than i realized i didn't realize how i knew i felt disconnected and lonely so much of my life but i didn't realize like oh i really have never had this experience of someone else seeing me in this way that's and interesting it too. was yeah it was awesome until the next morning i woke up and i was like fuck what did i do <laughs> and then like i went like my anxiety spiral happened where i'm like she's gonna tell everybody like they're gonna all find out they're all gonna point and laugh like all of like the worst things that my anxiety of course would you go tell disaster me, mode. right disaster mode totally for sure. big time but long story short she didn't she was the best and i ended up that summer ended up her and then my other best friend nick they both knew and i had two of my close friends know me um, and they were, I trusted them that they weren't going to tell anybody, um, which may or may not have happened, but doesn't matter. At least at the time I knew they weren't going to tell anyone. Um, but I then like went, I like remember going into senior year of college thinking, okay, I have two people who know me. I've shared this with people. I've, the world hasn't ended. Could I go back and come out at school? Like, is this possible? And so like I was driving down, I went to school in Santa Barbara. I was driving down and just contemplating, okay, yeah, can I come out to my roommates? Like, what would this year look like if I... I was out down here. Would I get to hook up with people? Would that be fun? Um, and like I get, I pull up and I get in and like I could feel myself well right back up the second oh, I got yeah. back down there. And I didn't. I didn't tell anybody the rest of college um, and really went back into the closet. Uh, and it was weird. I felt like I had these double lives where every now and then I'd like have these phone calls with Megan or Nick and 
where when I would see them, I would go home for the yeah. weekend and be able to like be real for just a little bit and then close back up. So it was really interesting. Um, it just speaks to just, I was so afraid of being gay, yeah. which uh, was confusing because I come from a family system that's super open-minded and progressive. And most of my friends at that time I knew would, would be down with it. Um, but it just speaks to like, again, the power of culture to imprint onto young people fear and shame for a way of being and an aspect of their identity that like, despite knowing people would be down with it, I was so terrified. Yeah. Um, and so then fast forward another year, I'm 23 or 22. Yeah. 23, couple years. I'm home um, for the holidays and I'm with my good friend Nick who I'd come out to and he's just asking me like, hey, how's it going? Like, what's life like down there? And I just shared with him how bummed I was. Like, I was in such a rut. So I was working at a job. I knew that it was fun, but I knew it wasn't what I wanted to do with my life. I had never kissed. I'd never like gone on a date. I'd never hooked up with a guy. I'd never done anything. And so I just told him like, I just feel like so stuck. I feel like I'm not... I feel like I'm waiting for something to happen, but it's not happening. And he said, like, Adam, I think you need to come out to your family. I think the fact that they don't know is keeping you stuck. Mm-hmm. And immediately I, like, got it. I, like, my first reaction was, like, shit, I think you're right, um, which was so great advice. And, like, I have so much love for him. He's Nick was such a great uh, part of my story. Um, straight guy and but, but such an ally. Um, and so I like made this commitment to myself, like, okay, I'm going to come out to someone in my family while I'm, I was home for a week during yeah. the holidays of when I was 23. And, um, and I, of course I like delayed it. I was like, not today. Okay. Maybe tomorrow, maybe tomorrow, yeah, maybe tomorrow. Yeah. And Pushing then it the was like last the day. possible moment. <laughs> oh, ba- literally. So I'm, I'm like, it's the last day I'm packing up my car to drive down oh my to Santa Barbara. So live you're about to leave. Oh, packing up my car. Totally. My mom is the only one there. Everyone else like had to go do errands or whatever. You're going to mic drop um, so and I'm then like, peace out. <laughs> I mean, okay, literally that's, so that's exactly what happened. So like, I'm like delaying, I'm loading my car and then like, I'm like pretending like I have more I need to load up. And then my mom's like just waiting to give me a hug so she can get on with her day. I'm like, oh, actually I have one more thing. And then like, I like, I'm just delaying it. And then internally I can hear this voice like, you just got to do it. Yeah. And so finally after like, honestly, like this 10 minute dance of me, like pretending to load more and more things into my car or like I forgot more and more things inside I eventually just like give her a hug and like I just like close my eyes as tight as I can and just say you know I'm gay right and then I like pull back and she's like oh okay great like she's shocked she's like where did she this came out of nowhere she's like okay great and then like the second she says that I get the fuck out of there right back I'm like okay gotta go later so I run out the door I'm like okay I'll call you later and so I run out the door to my car and then like I look back as I'm getting in my car and I see her on our front steps um and well, she sounds like, a like movie. I think she this is like oh a my movie. god it, I mean it was very tender I think she, I didn't know what to do she didn't know what to do but all of a sudden she just starts clapping her hands and saying oh. yay and it was like <laughs> and then I like I get in my car and I back out I'm like Oh, and so then like I'm backing out of my car. I'm driving the oh first like 15 gosh. minutes of my drive. I'm literally screaming to myself. Oh my God. 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 Cause it really felt like this was it. This was the beginning. This was my coming out. Yeah. It was me telling these people who are my people, my family. Um, and yeah, long story short, major panic in the car. Oh. We talk on the phone while I'm on this drive. She says everything great that, that a mom could say. I'm yeah. so, pri- my, my coming out was so privileged um 
I know it's not that case for so many people, but I've, I, my experience of coming out, I've never once had someone uh, give me any type of opposition or shaming or uh, cut me out of their lives. Um, and so that's, I feel really grateful and know that that's not the case for so many people. Um, but yeah, like then like the rest of my family eventually kind of got clued in. I talked with all of them, which was, tr- it's just trippy having conversations with people you've known your whole life, but feels like you're having the first conversation with them for yeah. the first time. Um, really? Cause it's like, you're finally having a conversation with like, from the perspective of you, who you actually are and not this yeah. persona that you've created and Totally. Yeah. And I had a good, I had a thick persona. I was so good at like hiding behind this persona so much in my life. Yeah. And yeah, this was the first experience of like me talking with them, but knowing that they're seeing me. Yeah. Like they me, finally are getting to know uh, you in a way. Totally. Like, and that's, totally. that's huge. That's huge. Yeah. I like, awesome. I was going to ask if you like when the next follow up with your mom was, because it's mostly like you drop this bombshell, then peace out with no further instruction. Like what's she supposed to do with this information? <laughs> she's supposed oh, to I tell, know. Totally. tell the rest of your family. Oh, <laughs> totally. I, I know I couldn't even think about that. Yeah. Compassion oh, yeah, went absolutely. out the window. I was oh, in yeah. survival mode. I was. <laughs> your fight or flight has oh. kicked in. <laughs> oh, big time it was wild I love um, it. that's but, so i'm just like imagining this taking place and like your mom waving from the step while you're driving off that's like this is like a movie that's very yeah it's very sweet it's a really tender um slightly cringy memory to go oh, back to but you I, gotta, yeah. you gotta embrace the coming out cringe <laughs> oh the coming out cringe is like yeah that's like what i laugh about now is like i love looking back on the cringy moments of coming out and just being able to like laugh about it it's like if i can't laugh about this what like what are we doing here <laughs> totally oh my god absolutely absolutely um yeah so like again so like i came out to them but again my story is kind of going back in the closet in and out so then like nothing really changed for like six months after that i like eventually then told my group of friends that i was with in santa barbara which was great too and i think that like coming out to my family and then coming out to them started like i just felt like okay i know how to do this now i'm starting to come out to more people more and more people know me i'm having more and more experiences of of how good it feels like this euphoria that comes when you have people know you and not having to hide something and so like that started to change everything and that's when i kind of got this pull to like hey i need to quit my job like this isn't what i'm supposed to be doing with my life like i need to not live in santa barbara which is such a bubble where it's like so hard to be gay here i needed to be in like a big queer city like i had this like vision of like i need to go somewhere else because it's too hard for me to do this on my own here i need to the safety and of like external structure of queerness around me that i can like learn how to be okay with this more than this little bubble of santa barbara was and so yeah long story short i like made this decision to take some like quit my job leave santa barbara and after some like reflection got more clear about what i wanted to do vocationally but it also like made the decision to move to san francisco and that's really when things changed for me um i moved to san francisco when i was 25 and i feel like that's when i started online dating that's when i started like really pursuing this next chapter which like goodness gracious if i could like talk for hours about that even that well, first same year. same here so i'd love to <laughs> i think i think we had very we had similar like pivotal like pivotal first probably i'm, I'm imagining in san francisco because we i think we did the yes. same thing we came out and then shortly mm-hmm. after moved to san francisco to get exactly what you were just talking about is like 
be surrounded yes. and immersed in this culture that and like honestly i felt kind of like i needed to catch up i felt like so behind i was mm. i was like i want to go somewhere that i feel like i can kind of get caught up to speed in a shorter amount of time because i the way that i describe yeah. this is i feel like one gay year in san francisco is like seven gay years in some other cities i feel mm. like just the fact that you're so constantly immersed and around if you choose to be obviously um and yeah. what goes on in San Francisco that the amount of growth that you can have and obviously this isn't just exclusive to SF but this is how it was in my experience is like yeah. one year there I felt like I grew more than I've grown in my like entire previous like 28 29 years of life in terms of self like self development and growth so I totally hear you I'm so ex- I'm so interested to hear about your SF your early SF experience yeah I mean it was wild. I feel like my, particularly the first few years of learning, of being in San Francisco, which was really like me learning how to be a queer person, learning how to be a gay man. I, it was like equal parts exhilarating and equal parts terrifying. Like I felt like, you know, signing up for OkCupid for the first time, or no, I did match.com for the first time because that felt safer. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. Signing for match.com and like making the decision to like make a profile and like come out to people online in that way. And then like having my first message with someone, uh, it was like so exhilarating, but also I still had like the trauma of shame is a theme throughout a lot of my story. And that I had to keep encountering how that was still trying to stop me from doing these things. So like I had a lot of resistance to doing online dating, a lot of resistance to being on a first date, a lot of resistance to hooking up with a guy for the, like so much resistance because of the shame um, but I was also like, damn, I got to do this. Yeah. And so like, that was a big piece of my story over those first few years. And, um, just really dealing with a lot of that resistance, but again, also dealing with a lot of this excitement, um, but a, a ton of newness as well. So I remember, uh, six months into dating, I like met who would become my first boyfriend, this guy that I fell head over heels for, I had never felt this feeling before in my entire life. So it was for sure like my first like full real infatuation and crush. And I remember I was, I'm a big fan of journaling. And so I was journaling at the time. um, And my journal is a a Google doc called I feel fucking nuts, which was very um, appropriate for where I was at at the time felt very much that way. Um, But I was journaling about like how, how, uh, how, consumed I felt by him and how uh, crazy I felt, how I felt like I wasn't used to feeling this way, thinking about him all the time and wondering if he was thinking about me too, not knowing how, like, should I be texting him or should I not? Like just so much of this uncertainty was coming up. And then in that journaling exercise is where I like started, I came, I wrote this phrase, like, I feel like I'm going through adolescence again. I feel like I'm going through a second adolescence and oh, I love kind of a full circle that, moment. We're bringing it back. Yeah, I mean, yeah. like that's like that's where like that was the origin of me starting to conceptualize what second adolescence has become in my work. That's of amazing. Just kind of really resonating with this as like to giving language to like this thing that I was going through that I didn't quite understand. Like, yeah. why did I feel like a thirteen-year-old as I was dating for the first time as a twenty-five-year-old? Because I hadn't had any of these experiences, and so. <laughs> Total, exactly. And so honestly, from that moment forward, and that was only, that was like maybe six months or so into dating men, 
I feel so grateful that I found that phrase because it became something I came back to constantly to give myself both compassion for why I was so scared to be doing what I was doing and felt so uncomfortable, but also kind of to give me just like a lens to know, okay, like I can get through this. Like this is like kind of this life stage I'm in now where I'm kind of catching up for last time and doing all these things now that my peers got to do when they were 13, 14, 15. And that's okay. And so like I kind of started this uh, journey of kind of going through the rest of kind of my 20s underneath this framework of second adolescence and it helped that I was also in grad school for psychotherapy at the time. And so I was just swimming in lots of kind of theory and kind of understanding about psychology and, and ways of being and uh, a lot of my experience in grad school was like running very parallel to me, both discovering this phrase second adolescence, but also kind of stepping into this like big new life phase of my personal life while I was doing the same thing in my professional life. And all of that added together, just like it was the perfect container for me to like process what I was going through in real time. Um, I also started personal psychotherapy at that time. So I was seeing a therapist while I was going through all of that, which was absolutely integral to my own journey and healing. Um, so important and so helpful. Yeah. But gosh, there's just lots to say. I don't know. I like, I get, I get, still get a little flustered when I think about that time period. Yeah. I would like something that you, I wrote down here that I wanted to kind of circle back to because it speaks to me and my experience, like to a T it makes me cringe and kind of goes, this kind of goes back to me saying like, thinking back on my cringy, cringy moments that now I just have to like laugh about it. I can't, I can't like think about it in a negative way anymore, but specifically around the intensity and how fucking nuts you feel around some of these first initial crushes, dates, all of that stuff. I like some of the cringiest moments in my entire life have come in that came in that in this time period too. like within my first year of coming out where I had never felt these like strong emotions towards and like romantic emotions towards a person before, because obviously like, even if I had a, a girlfriend the, using very heavy air quotes on that word, um, <laughs> like it was never, it wasn't what I actually wanted. Right. It was either something that I mm-hmm. thought I should want or doing it like a performative gesture essentially. Um, yeah. But so these first crushes you have, you're experiencing these emotions for the first time. And you're like, I didn't know what the fuck to do with them. It was like, totally. And, and what you meant, what you said about, do I text them? Am I texting them too much? Blah, blah, blah. And I, so a couple of weeks ago, I was, I, I was flying back to San Francisco for a wedding and I, um, I brought my journal with me and I have the same journal that I've had for like years. Honestly, I've had it since like 2018. Mm-hmm. I started journaling right before I came out and I was reading through some of the, I was just like, so bored on the plane and didn't have a TV and <laughs> my phone was like dead, I think. <laughs> and so I was like, okay, I guess I'm going to like go back to the 1800s and like literally read through my entire awesome. journal. And Great. I was reading from the, I, I started back at the beginning of my coming out entries. And as I was going yeah. through and I got to the, the, the entries around some of like these crushes that I had, some of the first crushes that I've ever had in my entire life, like actual crushes, I was just similar to what you're saying. I, I was like, I don't know what's happening and why I can't Hmm. control this or like why I feel so out of, I feel, I feel like I'm going crazy. Um, and it was just the most confusing, cringy, messy time I feel like ever for me. And it was just such, but looking back on it, like I can understand it a little bit better now. It's like, yeah, of course you've never had emotional attraction to 
somebody before and this is the first time you're having that. And so like now I can look back and be a little bit easier on myself, but man, did yeah. I like, I've never, I was like, I do, I can't, why am I acting this way? Why am I mm. being that person who <laughs> is checking if they're like looking at my Instagram stories, if they have texted me back, if I, do, why did I just mm. quadruple text them? Like that sort of thing. And so it's, oh, man, that was a yes. really tough time. That was such a tough yeah. time. That era. Totally. Totally. It's so hard. It was such an impossible time to feel super calm and steady yeah. when so oh, much new things are happening, right? No, not at all. No way. I mean, yeah, because like we're given this like very challenging task of like opening up floodgates that we had closed off, whether consciously or unconsciously for so long throughout our upbringing and adolescence. We're opening up this channel to allow for these feelings to be here for the first time. And we, and we have no experience with how to make sense of them, how to feel them. And like our bodies, like our nervous system are feeling them for this first time as well. And so like the, our body on the body level is kind of saying like, what the fuck is happening? <laughs> what are we doing? <laughs> um, but so, yeah, I mean, that's like why like those first couple years, year, maybe even longer of a person's second adolescence can be so messy feeling because there's just so much of this new that kind of has to be messy because we don't have any experience or tools or skills to be able to make sense and meaning out of what we're going through. We just have to experience them real time and then kind of later eventually kind of learn how to integrate those feelings into our experience, make sense of them, kind of have more just personal experience being in those situations. Because yeah. again, it's like not just new feelings, it's new situations, it's new all of it. I just like, just I want to take a moment to pour one out to the the relation like the friendships or relationships that died from that era of my life I <laughs> because know. like oh man it's i know it was cringe it was cringe yeah like, i mean we're here baby totally <laughs> we're here now totally <laughs> absolutely i mean i think of i had a very i had a very complicated and messy first relationship when i was in that like i think we i was maybe 26 at this time when we finally started dating and it was yeah definitely you look back lots of cringe when you look back and lots yeah. of also compassion for why i know that i i think we both both he and i were showing up yes in our 20s but very much still as if like we were our 13 year old 14 year old selves like yeah. it very much felt like this teenage relationship that i never got to have so i have a lot of compassion and a lot of gratitude for both him and also that time because it though it was volatile and crazy making and like i like gave so much money to my therapist about that relationship like it was all of it and i just have so much appreciation because like that's where i grew a ton i think that's maybe where yeah. he grew a ton and it just kind of sometimes has to be like that and and yeah. i guess i also want to like I don't want to say like, it's okay to be messy without taking accountability. Like, I don't want that to be, I think I sometimes hear people kind of almost too much say like, yeah, I was just being messy or like, but they're also, we want to make sure we're not hurting people. We, and like, we want to make sure like, and so I've, I've even done this. I've like gone back in time to like, or not back in time, but back to like connect with people. I went on, like, I had like, a, I don't know, some type of messy experience with when I was first dating and I've like texted them like, Hey, I kind of, I did this thing. I don't even remember. Like, I was going through it. That sucks. And hopefully I, it may have made you feel shitty. If so, like that is all on me. I'm, that shouldn't have happened. So like, I think there's oh, space also that. when you need to take accountability for on any part of your messy. I mean, I call it on my podcast and in my work, I talk about them as the necessaries, like these oh, necessary messy experience. Right. And so 
sometimes we need to like take accountability for our necessaries. And so that's also uh, been a part of my story too. The necessary. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I absolutely love that. Yeah. Too. I love them. Yeah. I mean, cause just like I, I, in my practice, I work a lot with actual adolescents and like so much of their own developmental um, trajectories involve these really necessary, but like messy and uncomfortable and new experiences that they need to travel through in order just to like gain, yeah, the skills and tools to know like, oh, this is how I show up in a friendship or as, as like a child or as like a partner like yeah. it's all over regular adolescence and it's the same thing in second adolescence necessaries are all over it yeah, yeah that makes sense and also i like this this kind of reframing rebranding we're putting on the cringe it's like another way to do that or to look at it is like if you didn't have the cringe these cringy moments to look back on that means you you might still be in the closet and so it is it, it kind of now <laughs> i'm about to use your own word they're so necessary because like in order to go from closet to like realized functioning queer human you need to go Mm -hmm. through these experiences you need to yes totally yeah absolutely it's definitely like the this portal and threshold you have to cross in order to kind of get more into this adult self that we're trying to become absolutely yeah Yeah. oh man i love that Mm -hmm. word so much i'm gonna use that but i will don't i'll definitely give you credit don't worry (laughs) (laughs) oh good yeah i love it yeah Mm. yeah i mean so I guess that's like the general gist. I mean, there's yeah. so much more to like dive into, I'm sure. But I guess that's kind of where I go when I think about my my coming out. It's just been like uh, a long process of like, yeah, everything that happened in adolescence, this kind of like kind of complicated coming out and then kind of starting this chapter that I've made sense of a second adolescence, which has been filled with for me yeah getting a ton of those necessaries and also gain yeah gaining all these experiences that i missed out on that i wanted so bad falling in love getting my heart broken like having first kisses first handholds first like being on a date for the first time getting to like yeah like kiss under the moonlight like all the fucking things um are part of it and what's also been part of it that i found is like bringing a lot of conscious space to like looking at like hey what also needs to be healed here like going back talk to the beginning talking about how you know this internalized chronic shame has been such a big part of my own story and for so many queer people too like that's a big task of second adolescence of queer healing of whatever you want to call it when you think about yourself as an adult is like looking at like hey younger me at different points in time had to hold a lot of shame even con un- even unconsciously for having this identity and there's often some some healing that needs to happen with that and and then also yeah i talk about this a lot also there needs to be a lot of space to grieve for not getting to as as an adult we can look back and see like damn i didn't have the adolescence that i really wished i could have i didn't have the adolescence that i see other people getting have getting to have and and it can bring up a ton of feelings and i think it's important to let those feelings be here because they're real and we didn't get that adolescence. And so I think grieving for and with my younger selves has been another huge piece yeah. of you know, my own Oh my gosh. Everything you're saying is just like firing off all these, these things in my brain of, of how they're, how relatable and how I'm, they're resonating with me. And the one you just said mm-hmm. about looking back and like on your childhood and, you know, kind of feeling some shame or feeling bad about not having some of those experiences and you know typically i i'm usually i don't try to shy away from it but i also try not to like go down that rabbit hole because it can get a little a little dark sometimes but um i'm 
I'm watching mm -hmm. an amazing, amazing, amazing show right now. Have you watched Sex Education? Oh, yes. Mm -hmm. And so, like, it's the most beautiful show that I, like, wish we had growing mm -hmm. up. Like, it, the way that they make being queer not, like, a big deal and the way that yeah. um, they approach such, like, complex and, you know, like, just complex and intense issues in such a beautiful way and, like, through humor and, like, you just want to – you love everybody in the show almost. It's incredible. But it also is – I find it making – I find that watching this show – makes me kind of look back on my high school experience and be like, damn, that would be nice. Like, holy shit. Mm -hmm. I wish even just, you know, having some, a, a sliver more of self-awareness of like where I was and like who I actually was, um, would have been nice. And so it's yeah. like, it's this love. It, actually, it's mostly love. It's very little hate, but it is a hmm. complex thing because I, I am binging this show right now and I'm on season three and about to, about to finish it and I don't want it to end. But at the same time, I'm like, fuck, like I am so sad. I did not get to have this type of, you know, high school experience. Granted, I don't know that that is even today is like everyone's high school experience. So mm -hmm, I know totally. it's like TV, but yeah. it does make you look back and reflect and be like, shit, I had absolutely nothing compared to that until, totally. you know, until I was 28, 29 years old. <laughs> so which is kind of, it can be a bummer. It can be a bummer. It's it's a huge bummer. And I think like, honestly, I think it's okay for it to be a bummer and it kind of needs to be a bummer. I think it's like, yeah. so, so many of us feel that sorrow for not getting to have had what we really wished we could have. And I too, at so many different points over the last like decade of being on, on this journey of trying to like find myself as a queer person, tons of, like there's so much great adolescent content right now about queerness. And yeah. I- whether it's sex education or it's an, there was another show called the fosters, which was also like very good, like lots and love Victor, love Simon, love like Victor. all of these, I found myself, there's been such a pull. I want to engage with these stories to, to both like see it's how cool it is that like queerness is a part of this, the dialogue now, but also like, I feel my 12 year old me when I'm watching those, I feel my 13 year old me when I'm oh, watching yeah. those. And I think it's like, I think it's important to like give our younger selves those experiences of getting to see like, Hey, yeah, here's someone else who's, who is getting what you wanted. It's a, and feel the sadness. Like yep. it's a bummer. Um, I, at some, I don't know when this is coming out, but at some point I'm going to be doing on my podcast, you can little plug. Um, I'm yeah, going to be talking a little bit away. more about this. I little bit more about this idea of, of grief and as it shows up in this way. So feel free to listen over there. But I, I think it's, uh, yeah, I guess bottom line, I'm a big fan of feeling the grief when you need to and yeah. feeling uh, and feeling bummed out and yeah, not dwelling. Like it's not about like letting that become like the eddy you swim in, but about it just acknowledging like, yeah, that sucks that I didn't get that. And, and sometimes it's as simple as that. And then just keep moving forward. Yeah. I love that. Mm -hmm. And I try, I'm try, I try not to like, I try not to steer away from it, but I also, you know, try not to like spend a little too much time in some of the, some of the grief too. But like one of the things my um, therapist has, has helped me with is giving me, I basically, he gave me like this, this mind mindset that I am trying to um, see things through now, especially where I'm at mm. currently in, in my life is in terms of like dealing with strong emotions and confusing emotions and changing emotions is just like observing, observing how things, mm -hmm. certain things are making you feel observing how you're feeling and maybe trying to figure out, you know, understand why you're feeling that way, but not yeah. to, not to like overly react 
strongly or negatively to positive or negative emotions, but to like sit with it and observe how, like what impact it's making on you. And it's really mm-hmm. like, it was very simple. Like I don't even, th- it wasn't even like a big, you know, like moment in our, in our mm-hmm. session, but it was this small little thing he said on the side and yeah. it, like, it really, you know, something just like click right away. And that totally. one observe has been like my mantra over the last like cool. couple of months. Um, and it's been really, really helpful. And so it, it kind of ties into this conversation about not veering away or like avoiding some of these really strong and sometimes like sad or um, challenging emotions. Because um, yeah. if you do that, then I don't think you're like, you know, I am absolutely not a therapist by any means. And I, um, I'm just speaking from my own experience. But I don't know if you like avoid them, you're not like learning from them or, you know, or not growing from them, I guess. And if you're going to go through a shitty situation or like you already have gone through some challenging times, it's like, what's the point of like not learning anything from that? And, you know, (laughs) what's the point? There's like, that's not doing you any favors. Um, So that's kind of where my my brain is going um, from this conversation right now. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. I love that. Observe. That's what it's about. Yeah. And it's so simple. It's just like, like, that's all, it's so easy. And I, I'm a big yeah. journaler and I'm like recently, well, I go through like waves of it, but I'm currently right now a big journaler. <laughs> and mm. so I, I've been trying to do that in my, in my entries every day is like writing down like some of these feelings. Cause like I, I'm going through like a lot of life changes at the moment, relationships, mm. location, job, all of this stuff. Um, mm. and it, you know, all of these emotions are like coming out ahead at the same time. And it's like, all right, why yeah. am I feeling this way? Is it because of this, because of that, because of that? Like, <laughs> yeah. so it's really totally. like helpful to write down and observe how I'm feeling and try to understand where it's coming from. And like, um, yeah. and you know, it just like helps you not feel, you know, if you keep everything in your head, you just go, I mean, you, you, yeah. pr- you create a, a journal. Why am I fucking crazy? Or <laughs> I feel fucking crazy. Right. <laughs> so, right. Um, totally and you have that just no, in your head but um yeah well and like also like any unprocessed like feeling particularly when it's pain is gonna come out in some other ways and that don't serve you yeah. unconsciously right and so like we always want to tend to whatever is real within us and if that's like pain if that's grief if that's confusion whatever it is doing your your tool of observing is like the key step in that process yeah it's great absolutely Hell yeah. Um, I want to be conscious of your time and I know um, I want to make sure I'm not keeping you too long, but um, I think this is like a really nice segue and I'm going to deviate from what we had talked about beforehand because I think there's something else that I, I, I know there therapy gets brought up almost on every single episode of my podcast. Hmm. And cool. I know that having access to therapy is absolutely a privilege and it's a, it can be expensive and, um, yeah. and not a, just not everybody has access to a, a therapist, you know, where they're based on where they're living or their certain situations. So, Mm-hmm. Um, I would love if you had, and I'm, you know, I know I'm fully putting it in the spot right now, <laughs> but <laughs> cool, I, was, bring it. I would love to hear from your professional opinion, a, like for people who have thought about doing therapy, but maybe they haven't done it or for whatever reason, um, a, what you think for people who are going through some sort of like, like identity discovery situation coming out, you know, exact mm-hmm. stuff that we've talked about what benefit you think that it brings? Because like, I can sit here and talk about therapy all day, but like, what do I, you know, what do I know? I'm not an expert. Um, Mm -hmm. And two, if you had any advice for people who might not have access to therapy, like, are there any, is there anything else that they can do uh, to, you know, get similar, get similar relief too? Just cause like, like we just said, like keeping stuff in your head for me and my coming out was like when I felt like I was going most like out of control 
Um, mm. And so it wasn't until I started talking to people and going to therapy that it, like everything like kind of made more sense. So I'd mm. love to get your your thoughts on that. Cool. Yeah. Oh my God. I have so many thoughts. I guess like a first main thought is this belief that I have that like therapy is not just what we think of as therapy. Like therapy is not just going in and talking to a therapist. Like so many things and so many experiences can be therapeutic. And so I want to invite people just to kind of even think about this idea of like really what therapy means is about a place to like get curious, better understand yourself, process and heal. And that can be Yes, it's helpful to do that with a trained professional to create that space. And like that can exist in a lot of different ways. That's something that you can do in your own personal practices of whether that is journaling or listening to podcasts or reading or talking with friends or making art or whatever, like whatever kind of personal practice resonates for you. Therapy can exist there. But then like when we think about traditional therapy, like, yeah, I fucking love therapy. Therapy is the greatest. And so (laughs) if if you have if you have access to it. (laughs) yeah i know Uh, i mean but yeah no and but i agree like that there is a challenge um in terms of access and like but whether whether that's financial access or like cultural access like there's a lot of different barriers to therapy and so if uh you're someone where you you don't have some of those barriers where you're wanting to where you have the ability to go into it and it's something you're curious about i think go try it out and there's lots of different ways to find therapists and which could be a whole other conversation where I can kind of give resources and recommendations. Um, but it can be such a helpful space um, that's just for you to let out all your shit and to know that the person there, they're only there to receive and to hold that space for you to work it all out. And um, God, I mean, there's so many things I want to say, but I also like don't want to force everyone into therapy because like yeah. there's different reasons, right? Like everybody has their own. We all are our our on our own unique path and therapy is again isn't the only space for you to do healing like healing is listening to this conversation healing is journaling healing is you i mean my favorite way of healing for any queer person really any adult who's gone through life and they have something in their past that they're navigating through is to i've talked about my younger self a ton on this on this in this conversation i do that a ton on my podcast but i find like engage finding a space to engage with our younger selves whether that's through imagination, through di- like actual dialogue, through writing letters to them, or vice versa, having them write letters to us, like that is such an effective tool to start your healing work is to like open up space to like hear what our younger selves are, have to say because we all carry within us our younger selves and we all carry within us the wounds of our younger selves and creating space to like invite in whatever those wounds are, invite in whatever they have to say, oof. It's the best. That's awesome. And I, I love that you gave a different lens to look at therapy through instead of just the traditional going in and seeing a trained professional. It's like therapy can be, I love what you said, therapy can be a bunch of different things. It doesn't have to just mm-hmm. be that one way that, you know, I think everyone, including myself, like when I asked that question, like I was definitely thinking through the lens of going and seeing somebody. Um, but yeah. I love the way that you described that. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. So I, yeah, I think that's incredible. Um well, Adam, this has been so fun. It's so good. It's so good to see you and chat with you again. Um, yeah. If your story resonates with our listeners and or they want to check out the podcast, which they absolutely should, maybe even episode ten. I'm not biased at all, but I think it was a pretty. I think it was a pretty good one, if I do say so myself. <laughs> Michael, it was such a good one. I remember ending. 
I remember ending that conversation. No, it was so good. I remember ending that conversation. I was just like so pumped and so grateful that you shared your story. And it was, uh, again, I learned a ton from your <laughs> from what you had to share. Um, and yeah, big recommendation. Check, oh, check him you. out. Yeah. I did mm-hmm. not ask him to say that. <laughs> I promise, but thank you. I appreciate those kind of words. Um, where yeah. did they, where can, where can the listeners find you? Yeah, great. If there are Instagram users, you can find more about what we're doing at, at Second Adolescence Pod. That's the page, uh, the show's page, um, or secondadolescencepod.com to learn more about what this work is. And I would love to have you be a part of the community. I love it. And also just a quick aside, if you just want to have like a super healing queer thursday both of our episodes come out on thursday so you can just listen to them back to back and you can have Mm, just mm, the best mm. the most feel good you know hopefully uh (laughs) thursday afternoon or thursday morning uh ever so yes check i'm here for we can we can't have enough queer stories i agree i am i'm all in i'm all in and i love it yeah and thanks for thanks for inviting me on this was like absolutely not my comfort zone being in this role but it was really uh quite cool and i'm curious just to kind of i'm going to avoid the you know like the emotional hangover that comes after you do something kind of like uncomfortable within like the spiral and i think i'm just not going to spiral i'm just going to be like that was a great acknowledge it but say okay yeah observe it yeah observe it (laughs) (laughs) and then it's just on you go on you go yep Mm -hmm. all right well thank you so much adam i cannot Mm -hmm. wait to share your story and it was so good to see you so good to see you too awesome Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode. If this week's episode resonated with you, please take a second to subscribe and leave a review. You can find Reaching Out with Michael Constable on Instagram and Twitter at Reaching Out Pod, and you can find me on Instagram and Twitter at Michael Wings It. Bye bye, see you!